Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel of Ansheim at Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Lech Lecha. Leaders lead, but how? How do you define effective leadership? Certainly that's a topic in our world today, right? What, you know, people are about to go to the polls and they're going to vote for leaders. And assuming that people aren't simply voting for a party, what, how, how do you understand effective leadership? What, what goes into that? Wow, that's a tough question. You, as a, as a leader of our congregation, uh, have some qualifications to speak to this. I have none. <laughs> I have led very little. Um, and I, I, I work alone. I, uh, my, my family, uh, especially my teenage girls, definitely don't uh, respect me as a leader at this particular moment <laughs> in their lives. Uh, oh, get, get in line. Is, get in line. For my that. wife has more qualifications than I do, for sure. Uh, but, you know, as somebody who is, has written about leaders, both, you know, moral, spiritual, um, political. Um, I, I, sports, I think sports I've, I've given it some thought. Yeah, right. Leaders in sports, uh, leaders of teams, right? What does it take to lead a team versus what does it take to lead a country as a, as a political figure? Um, I think in all cases, obviously, to lead, you need to make people follow. You need to make people want to follow. Forcing people to follow uh, is not the, uh, the definition of leadership that I would look to. Uh, so the question is, you know, how do you, how do you uh, make people want to follow you? And then um, that requires them to to stick with you too, right? Uh, because you know, leading effectively over a long period in a, in a brief moment, you know, leading the team down the field for for a touchdown is one thing, but leading them year after year and, and building uh, you know a community, getting people to trust you, um, getting people to look to you for answers. These are these are tougher things to sustain over time, especially as as people begin to have higher expectations. This is one of the things we see throughout history. You know, a leader is effective early on. And then once expectations start to rise, people begin to question their leadership and it becomes a lot more difficult. So leaders have to not only inspire, they have to adapt. Right. So charisma is only going to take you so far. And then you have to rethink your positions and be willing to adapt. And I think be a listener along the way. I think you have to produce, right? Effective leaders make a difference for the people that he or she is leading. Yeah, Liz Truss uh, lasted six weeks, I guess, because uh, she uh, was not exactly inspiring trust among the people um, who were she was supposed to be leading. Right. Overpromising is, is a problem, too. All that is part of effective leadership. It's interesting because in our portion this week, Lech Lecha, we meet the person who's not only the progenitor of our people, Abraham, or Avram, as he's called at the very beginning, but we're all, he's also a leader. He is going to lead the Jewish people forward. And I think we ought to be paying attention to how Jews are defining leadership. Because if you go back to ancient literature, leaders are almost always defined by some act of bravery, right? That's something extraordinary that they did, a feat of courage, right? And you can think back over the Greek myths and you kind of see how people distinguish themselves, right? Even, you know, in Jewish literature, you have King David, right, who distinguishes himself when everyone is cowering in fear in front of Goliath. He's the one who stands up and defeats him, albeit with a uh, slingshot. So looking at Abraham, the Torah itself only shows us that Abraham is willing to leave 
everything that he knew. He comes from a very uh, sophisticated, civilized place, and he's being asked to go out into the wilderness, to leave, to follow God, not having the slightest idea of where he's going. So that's what the Torah is going to tell you. The rabbis are going to offer a midrash, and the midrash seems like a silly child story. But I think if we look at it a little bit more deeply, we'll find that there's something there about the Jewish view of leadership. The story the rabbis tell is Abraham is a youth. We don't meet Abraham in the Torah till he's 75. So he's a youth, and according to the rabbis, his father Terach has a business selling idols, which is very convenient, obviously, for the rabbis. <laughs> good story. It's a good story, right? It works, right? Maybe a little too obvious, but it, it, it works. And... So Terach wants to go on a lunch break, and his young apprentice, his son, um, is old enough that he, the Terach can leave uh, the, the uh, oversight of the store while he goes out to the nearest subway to get whatever he's going to get. Falafel. And, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, while Terach is gone, Avram has decided that he is going to take his idea of monotheism, since he is a religious child prodigy, and he has come to the conclusion that there is a God, one God, and uh, this God is behind the entire creation and everything. He wants to prove his father, to his father, the folly of his business and his ways, so he takes a hammer, he breaks every idol but the largest idol, and leaves the hammer in that idol's hand. His father comes back from his lunch break, and his store is in ruins, and he screams out to his son, Avram, what have you done? And Avram says, I didn't do anything. A woman came, she brought a sacrifice to one of the gods, and the largest god decided he was going to take the sacrifice after she left. And all the gods got in a fight, and the largest one defeated all the smaller ones by taking a hammer and smashing them. And the father then says to his son in horror, he said, son, you know, you know that these idols can't talk. You know that these idols can't take up a hammer. You know these idols can't move. So why are you lying to me? And his father and Avram then goes on and, you know, says, Father, you know, what do you listen to the words that you speak? And then he goes into a whole long dissertation on the theology of one God. Now, that's a remarkably self-serving story. But what do you think is behind that story? Well, my answer might be a little different from what you expect, um, and I'm going to go and maybe take a different turn here. Um, you know, the story is, as you point out, a little too perfect. It's a little too neat. It, it, it checks every box that we want. It even has the idols in it, right? Um, we have a tendency throughout history, not just us today, but, you know, human beings have a tendency to want to imbue our heroes with almost, you know, superhuman characteristics to say that they were they were molded from from the cradle to be leaders uh, which is you know why we tell stories about George Washington and chopping down the cherry tree and saying I you know I cannot tell a lie um, you know we have this urge to to want to to believe that, that these are you know almost you know superheroes that, that they alone could become our leaders and and I have a problem with that because I think it suggests that that ordinary people can't be can't be leaders. If you want your leaders to all be chosen from the cradle to be to, to take these roles, then it sets unrealistic expectations and it discourages others from thinking of themselves as potential leaders. So, 
you know, I just, I wonder, uh, you know, the, the, this story certainly has a message on, on many levels, but that was the first one that kind of struck me. The iconoclast that you are, yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> ha ha. The skeptic, the cynic, that's, uh, the cynic. that's my job. You're shattering all of my idols here. Um, <laughs> well, I guess, I guess my response to that is, is, is that what leaders can do for us is also teach us lessons that we can apply. You know, I don't need to be Abraham Lincoln, but that doesn't mean that in, in situations that I can't display some of his better qualities. For instance, diffusing difficult moments with humor or taking a stand because it is the right thing to do or pivoting in your life and evolving and changing your views. Those are all things that I think that we can take on or the humility of George Washington. I think we can also learn from him. And here with Abraham, he is demonstrating what will become the foundation stone of Jewish life, which means being willing to stand apart. So you didn't realize when you were saying that you often work alone, that you are actually fulfilling <laughs> the right. Jewish idea. So it's not too late for me to become a leader. If Abraham started at 75, I've still got a couple of years yeah, to go. Uh, you're, you're, you're well on your way. But I mean, the idea that the Jews have to be willing to swim against the tide, take a stand, even though it's unpopular, has been the test of the Jewish people in every generation, not least of which our own. Right? How do we distinguish ourselves as leaders? Not because we may be the bravest person in the room or the most um, valorous from a military point of view, though the state of Israel is challenging that view as well. But I also think that it's really you know, a, a willingness to take a moral stand, a willingness to stand alone. That is part of what, what the Jewish people are about. And that is how you develop yourself as a leader. Right, even to take an unpopular stand because it's right. Yeah, I like that a lot, and I think that's a great lesson, and it and it it, it ties in actually to what I was saying about. Um, I don't think we need to think of our leaders as being you know preordained as as born to greatness, because most leaders face a moment where they have to make a choice: do they want to take this risk? Do they want to step forth? Do they want to challenge the orthodoxy? Do they want to challenge the establishment? And it's scary. You know, it only sounds great on paper when, it, when, it, when you've done it and you've triumphed and you've emerged as a, as a great revolutionary and you've led your country to freedom or you've led your people to, um, to, to great victories on the battlefield. But, you know, in, at the moment, it's, it's, it's not easy. And I think everybody who takes that step forward struggles with doubt. Maybe they're delusional or they're even those, I think, who feel called by God struggle with it, with it I think, um, from the... You know, example of you know Martin Luther King uh, comes to mind, but you know most people, even when you hear that saying that they feel like they were called to this by by God, they still struggle with with uncertainty about whether they can do it and whether they're the right person to be to be leading their people. I would add to what you're saying, the whole um, the whole state of loneliness, right? That that to be a leader is to take on kind of a lonely place. You have to make decisions. You have to live with those decisions. And sometimes those decisions aren't the right ones. And you have to live with the consequences of that as well. Right? Look at Moses. Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, hits the rock. And because he does that in front of the whole people, he is deemed to be no longer the one to lead the people into the promised land. Right? It's, it's to take on unpopular positions. The prophets were the most, most unpopular of people. 
And throughout Jewish history, you have this again and again and again. Of, you know, leadership can be a very lonely place, and yet, at the end of the day, it's really not about you. It's about what you stand for. I mean, here is Abraham, or Avram, and the rabbis envision him as standing for something, so much so that he's willing to take a risk with his own father to make his point and to kind of sway his father towards um, a different understanding. That's a huge part of what it means to be a leader. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, you know, you're going to frustrate your, your, your family, you're going to frustrate and challenge your friends, you're going to have people counting on you, and, and, and you're not going to be able to satisfy all of them. And that's if everything even you know, goes well, or if things go badly, you're the one who takes the blame. So it's easy to see why people step aside. And, you know, when, uh, again, to bring it back to King, when, when King was chosen to lead the Montgomery bus boycotts, it's because no one else wanted the job. They thought, this guy's new in town, mm-hmm. nobody hates him yet, uh, let him do it. And uh, to his credit, he stepped up, but he didn't have to. There were others who, who could have and declined the job. So it makes you wonder, you know, is there, obviously it takes some, some courage and some confidence, but I think right. for the for the best of them, it takes faith. I think it does. I think it does, but I would be remiss if I didn't at least express to you that my own concern about leadership in the present age. I think that you see people on the left who or in progressive circles, people in leadership roles, unwilling to voice their own opinions because they're afraid of getting canceled. And you see people on the right and the far right also being silent because they don't want to ruffle the feathers of maybe a past president. They don't want to ruffle the feathers of that president's constituents. And so people are silent. And I think that one of the challenges of our day is how do we maintain this ideal of leadership, of people who are willing to stand for something and stand against the storm in the face of social media. I think it's a real issue. I think for everybody in a position of leadership or even people who are just thinking about, you know, how to serve their communities, it, it raises a great challenge. If you're thinking about running even for a you know, school board, something that our parents or, you know, neighbors might have considered, now you have to be worried about what kind of backlash you're going to get, what kind of a tolerance you have for taking that kind of heat because everybody's got a megaphone these days. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And anybody who belittles those concerns clearly hasn't seen, you know, been on the other end of those kinds of moments. I know I have. And, you know, you think twice at times, do I really want to get out there and take the stand knowing the backlash you're about to undergo? And it's, it can be really challenging. The problem is, is that you also have to be able to look in the mirror in the morning. And the goal of leadership isn't just to survive another day so you can fight again, but the goal of leadership is to make a difference, is to move people, to affect them, and as you were saying before, to also inspire them. And I think Abraham does that in this Midrash, and this is, I think it's a lesson for our day. Yeah, we need those stories because um, we run the risk of scaring off all the future leaders, and and we're going to need them. Well, I continue to look up to you as a great leader in literature. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, even even if you are a hermit of sorts, I've got till I'm seventy-five to uh, at least till I'm seventy-five to to prove myself. I've got some some work ahead of me. Well, then the Jewish people finally have a have a leader worth its salt. Huh? Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Thank you.